Welcome to the Prince College Podcast. We are so thankful that you've tuned in. Our hope with this podcast is that it teaches you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. With that in mind, let's dive right in. Hope you enjoy. If I have not met you yet, my name is Adam Tarver. Really thankful that you've chosen to join us tonight. This is our second Prince College Nights of the semester. Our hope for these nights is absolutely to provide you, provide you with a place where you can find community, where you can be in relationship with one another. We believe that is so, so important. But even more important than that, we really want to provide you with a place where you can encounter the Lord, learn more about who he is, what he has done, and what that means for you. That is our heart for you. We don't want these nights to be just another thing that fill your calendar. We know you got a ton of things going on. We know there are a ton of places that you could be on a Wednesday night at 8.30, and we consider it an honor that you'd spend your time with us, and we really hope that this time is a blessing to you. But here's the deal. That's our goal, but we have no power to accomplish it on our own. So we need to pray that God would use these times for our glory and for his good. We're going to start this night off the same, t- same way we started it last week. We're just entering into a time of prayer together. So if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I'd love to give you a moment to pray right where you sit. Because I don't know what happened in your life today. I don't know what's going on in your life today. But I do know that whenever we gather together and we hear God's word taught, that he can move in powerful ways. And that's what we're asking for tonight. We're asking God to use this moment for, our, for his glory and for our good. So would you just take a moment And pray that this would not be just another time of Bible study, but this would be a time where we all genuinely hear from and meet with God. I'm going to give you a moment to pray right where you sit, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive in. Father, we come to you tonight expectant. We really want to see you move. We believe the words that we just sang, that we believe that we are never alone, that you are with us, that you care about us, that you're with us through the darkest moments of life when it feels like the darkness is caving in, that you have power even over moments like that. And so, God, I just I pray over this time that we have together. I believe everything that I just said, I really want this to be a time where we meet with you, where we walk away from this moment change, but I have absolutely no power to make that happen on my own. But you do, and I believe that you want to. And so would you find us receptive? Would you find us willing and open to hear from you? And would you use these moments that we share for your glory and for our good? We ask all of this in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, am I the only one that's like super stoked that it's finally fall? Anybody else like stoked that fall is finally here? Like I, I felt the cool air this morning and I immediately just grabbed like this shirt because one person's clapping. <laughs> so anyway, we're really excited about fall, apparently. I love fall for two primary reasons. Let me tell you what the two reasons are. One is the weather. All right, I love the cool fall air. I've never been a warm weather person. I'm sorry for you warm weather people. I've never understood you, okay? I would much rather have the cool breeze 
raised, sit on a back porch, have a nice cup of coffee, and not worry about sweating to death than walk around in the 98-degree heat with 100% humidity. All right, that's my lifestyle. That's my choice. That's what I really prefer. All right, so I'm really thankful that it's fall for that reason. Secondly, I love fall because fall means college football. All right, is anybody else excited that college football is here? Like, I know we were all like a little worried, right? Like COVID threatened to take it out, but here we are. We have been blessed by the Lord. College football is here and we are so thankful. And right now, at least for the next few days, it's still really good to be a Georgia fan, all right? We'll see what happens on Saturday. It always makes me nervous, but it's great to be a Georgia fan. I, like many of you, I would imagine, have been a Georgia fan for a very long time. All right, my, I grew up in the States. My parents were Georgia fans. But if I'm being honest with you, I was never truly a Georgia fan, like 100% bought in until I came to school here. I came to school here in 2012. Prior to that, like if you would have asked me as a little kid, like what team I pulled for, I would have told you UGA, right? Because I was a normal kid and no normal kid roots for Georgia Tech, right? And so I'm like, yeah, like I would pull for UGA. I'm going to sport the red and black. I'm not wearing that navy and gold. Go Bulldogs. Forget the jackets, right? But I was never really an actual fan. My parents pulled for them, but I didn't really keep up with it. But then I came here, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, just something clicked. When I got on UGA's campus, I experienced that first game day. The atmosphere was electric. It was infectious, if I can say that, in the midst of a global pandemic, right? Like, it was really exciting, right? I remember my first game day, 12 p.m., noon game, the absolute worst. We were playing Buffalo. Who's ever even heard of Buffalo, right? Todd Gurley's first game, shout out, hello, that was awesome. We destroyed them. It was 107 degrees, but we were just screaming our heads off. Why? Because we had like come to really enjoy and appreciate and really, really want to celebrate this university that we had come to love, right? As I continued in my college careers, I got more into Georgia football. I had the opportunity to be a member of the UGA paint line. I know we've got a couple of you guys in the house. If you're not familiar with the paint line, they're the crazy guys that stand on the front row, paint their bodies red, spell Georgia dogs across their chest wear red Afro wigs and aviator glasses, all right? That was me, my sophomore, junior, and senior year of college. We would show up hours before the gate opened. No tailgating for us, no fun for us on game days. We would show up hours before the gates opened because for whatever reason, UGA would never let us save seats. We had to get there first come, first serve. We would show up hours before, wait. Then we would go into the stadium. We would cheer on the dogs, whether we were winning or losing, whether it was 107 degrees or 27 degrees, whether it was sun shining outside or it was raining and we were getting stomped by Alabama. All right, still too soon to talk about a little bit. We would go and we were there the whole entire time. Why? Because we had personal experience with this university. We had come to love this university, right? We had appreciation for this university and that appreciation led to passion on our behalf and that passion influenced our actions. Now, why do I tell you that? Because where we're at in the book of Colossians right now, we see a very similar mentality in the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you were paying attention as Emma was reading that earlier, but what she was just reading was all about, excuse me, was Paul's willingness to suffer on behalf of these other believers, right? Even believers that he has never even met before. We talked about this last time that we met, that Paul had never even been to the church in Colossae, but there he is talking about how he's willing to suffer for these people, how he's willing to strive for the advancement of the gospel, to serve the church in whatever capacity and whatever it means for him. He talks about how much he is willing to struggle for these believers, 
And whenever we just look at that, it's like, why are you willing to do this? We examine, kind of remember where Paul is, right? Like Paul's not writing this from the comfort of his own room. Paul's writing this from prison. And so he means what he's saying. He's being legit. He's saying, hey, I'm counting it joy to suffer on your behalf. I'm here in prison, and I count it a joy to suffer for you. And then if you expand the context a little further, and you look into Paul's history, you remember that Paul used to be a guy who persecuted Christians, who threw Christians in jail, who had Christians killed. And now, here he sits in a jail cell jail cell, that's hard to say together, in a jail cell of his own for the very reason that he used to throw people into jail, for proclaiming the name of Jesus. And you look at this and you wonder why. Like, Paul, what's the deal? Why are you willing to go to such lengths? Why are you willing to suffer so much and strive so hard? And the answer is, Paul had personal experience with Jesus. His life had been changed forever whenever he met Jesus on a road one day into a city called Damascus. You can read that story in the book of Acts. He had personal experience with Jesus, and that experience changed his heart forever. It changed his affections. It changed his passions, and now it was influencing his actions. We saw last time that we gathered together in this room that Paul had a very high view of Jesus, that he didn't view him as just some figure of history, that he viewed him as deity, that he was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that he was preeminent in all things, and now he is living his life completely differently. You see this passage of scripture that Emma just read for us? Apart from anything that comes before it, it doesn't make any sense. But whenever you examine it in its context, you see that Paul is living out what he truly believes. Paul's behavior was influenced by his relationship with Jesus. And that is what I want for you. Another way to say it is this, is that whenever you are captivated by Jesus's heart, you will be motivated to join in Jesus's work. I'll say that one more time. Whenever you are captivated by Jesus' heart, you are motivated to join in Jesus' work. That is what I want for you. That's what I want you to understand tonight. That a relationship with Jesus is not meant to be just some small part of your life. I feel like many of us treat it that way. That Jesus is this thing that we do on Sundays and twice a month on Wednesday nights. Everything else, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is not meant to be a small part of your life. It's meant to impact, he is meant to impact every single part of your life. Whenever you develop a more full understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the natural response in your life should be a heart that is changed and wants to see the kingdom of God advance in the world. Your desires should start to become a whole lot more like his desires. Your heart should look a whole lot more like his heart. You should want to join him in his work here on earth because you realize that you were once alienated from God, lost and without hope in the world. But now, because of Christ Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. You have been rescued. You have been delivered. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And you have been set free from all of your sins, completely forgiven and invited to walk anew and join God in what he is doing here. Whenever that reality lands on your heart, 
it should change every part of how you live your life. Jesus, excuse me, Christianity is not just about moments like this where we gather together, we sing some awesome songs, we hear a guy talk for 30 minutes or longer if he gets long-winded, right? And then we go home and do our own thing. No, being a follower of Jesus is about living a life of kingdom advancement. Living life together in the context of community with brothers and sisters in Christ, moving into a dark and dying world with the very message of light and hope. That is what I want for you as individuals. I want you to have a full understanding of what it means to truly follow Jesus, and I want you to live it out in your life as individuals, and I want us to live it out together as a group, as Prince College. I want this to be a family of God where we move into the world with purpose, where we seek to love those who are far from God and bring them closer to him. I want you to be captivated by his heart so that you will be motivated to join in his work. That is my hope for you. But the question becomes, what in the world does that look like? What would it look like for us to be a family of God moving into the world together for his glory. Well, lucky for us, Paul tells us in this passage of scripture, he shows us three things that we must do if we want to be a family of God who moves into the world for God's glory and for the good of those around us. Let's just follow, follow along right here. Excuse me. If we want to be a family who moves into the world for God's glory and for the good of those around us, we must be willing to suffer together. We must suffer together. That's not exactly the most fun way to start this, but that's how the passage of Scripture starts. All right? Paul says that he rejoices in what was suffered for them. I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. He was willing to suffer on behalf of these other believers. If we want to be a family of God that moves into the world together, we must be a family that is willing to suffer together. Now, what does that mean? Because here's the deal. In all likelihood, you're probably not going to get thrown in jail for another member of Prince's College Ministry, right? And if you are, it's probably not because you were sharing your faith. It's probably because you did something dumb, okay? All right, so what does it mean to truly suffer together? What does that even look like? It means a whole host of things. I want to share two things with you. First, it means, it means being willing to be with people in the messy times of life. Suffering together means being willing, willing to wade into the mess with everyone else. When someone's life is difficult, whenever it doesn't make sense, whenever they're hurting, it looks like stepping in instead of running away. It looks like stepping in and running away. Galatians 6 2 tells, it, tells us that we're meant to bear one another's burdens. That means whenever your brother or your sister in Christ is walking through something hard, you walk through something hard with them. Whenever there's a burden that they're carrying, that you step in and you carry it with them. You don't run from those moments, you press in. And I think this matters, and I think that it needs to be said because here's the deal. Our tendency as human beings is to avoid the mess. We want to avoid everything messy, right, in our own lives and certainly in the lives of other people. We want life to be smooth, clean, neat, and perfect. And whenever difficulty comes, our natural tendency is to run away. Say, I'm going to avoid that. Leave me alone. I want to go where it's easier. But that is not what the family of God is all about. It's about helping people through the mess in their lives. 
So I just want you to hear me. If you're in this room tonight and you're walking through some really, really difficult times in your life, it does you no good to come to places like this and put on a face and act like everything's okay. It does us as a family no good for you to come and act like you've got everything together. Be real. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Grab someone and share with them the things that are going on in your life. And if they are a Christ follower, if they love Jesus, they will walk with you through the mess. They're not going to avoid the mess. Real followers of Jesus, people who truly love Jesus and are seeking to live their lives for his glory, they're not going to run away from the mess. They're going to walk with you through it. We're meant to carry one another's burdens. Similarly, if you're in the room and you know of someone who's walking through something difficult, don't run away from that person. Run to that person. Go to them. Find them. Walk with them through it. And I know that the the question always comes up, like, hey, what do I do? What do I say? My friend's going through this really hard time. They just had a death in the family. I don't have the answers. What am I supposed to do? You mean to tell you what you do? You go and you show up. And you be there. And you sit beside them. And you tell them, hey, I know that you're going through something hard. I know that this is really difficult. I have no idea what's going on. I don't have all the right answers. I don't have the right things to say. But I want you to know I'm here. I'm right here. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm in your corner. I'm for you. And I'll do anything that you need me to do. I'm going to sit right here. That's what you do. That's what this looks like. This is what it means to suffer with one another. We all need people like this in our lives, y'all. My guess is, if I asked you, you could roll off a list of people like this in your life who have walked with you through some really difficult times in your life. I could stand up here for hours and tell you, tell you about guys like Zach Gerald, like Ryan Knapp, like Brant Aiken, like Scott Sanders, who walked with me through the most difficult moments and dark moments of my life. They didn't have magic answers, but they showed up, and they sat with me, and they wept with me, And they were there. And my life is forever blessed because of men like that. So why would we not be that for each other? Just show up. Be willing to suffer with one another. Don't avoid the mess. Walk through the mess with each other. Be willing to step in and suffer. That's one way that we suffer together. The second way, I think it's a little bit more difficult. The second way that we suffer together is that we commit to live lives of integrity with one another. Meaning that we're going to be a group of people who do what's right even whenever it's difficult. That's why Paul's in prison right here. The people of the day told him that he could not preach the gospel, but he knows in his heart what is right, what people need, that they are lost and without hope and dying and going to a real place called hell. And so he says, no, 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 I know what's right, and I'm going to do this regardless of what it means for me. I'm going to be a man of integrity. I'm going to live this out. We're meant to be the same. We're meant to be a group of people who are committed to living our lives with integrity even whenever it hurts us, even whenever it costs us. So what does this look like? It looks like whenever you're hanging out with a group of friends and people start talking a bunch of junk about someone that you don't participate because you know that the person that they're talking about is made in the image of God and he cares about them and he loves them and so you refuse to speak a poor word about them, even if your friends make fun of you for not joining in. It means, guys, whenever you're hanging out with your buddies and they start making those crude jokes about that girl that you know, you absolutely don't join in. 
And you shut it down because you know that she's made in the image of God and that God loved her enough to send his son to die for her. So you shut that moment down and you walk away from that moment. It means, here's a hard one, you ready? It means whenever all of your classmates are telling you, hey, don't worry about that quiz, don't worry about that exam, you can just cheat. After all, it's online. No one will know anyway. It means you don't do that even if it costs you the grade, because you care a lot more about the God who sees everything than you do about getting ahead in a class at school. You commit to living a life of integrity even whenever it costs you. I get it that living this way is really stinking hard. That's why it's called suffering, all right? It's not called smiles. It's called suffering. It's difficult. It's hard, right? But it's worth it. And that's why existing in a community like this matters so much. Because you don't suffer alone. You suffer together. You have people who rally alongside you, who encourage you whenever the difficult moments come. So if we want to be a family that moves into the world for the kingdom's cause, we must first be willing to suffer together. The second thing that we see Paul talk about the second thing we see Paul talk about is that if we want to be a family like this, that we must strive together. We must strive together. Towards the end of chapter 1, Paul tells the Colossians that he is laboring and struggling on their behalf in the power of the Lord. And the word struggling in my translation is actually a word that, that implies like an athletic competition. And it can actually be translated as striving, Right? Meaning that like we're striving together towards a common goal, all right? So you think UGA trying to stomp Tennessee, this team's rallying together, they're moving towards the goal to try to beat them, right? They have a common goal in mind and they're going after it. That's what this word implies. And that's meant to be a picture of the family of God. That we are meant to know what is at stake and strive together for the advancement of the gospel, We're meant to lock arms together as brothers and sisters and fight together even whenever things seem impossible to overcome because we know what's at stake. We're talking about people's eternity. We're talking about people's soul. Paul says here that he's striving to teach everyone about the message of Jesus. He wants everyone to be presented as perfect in Christ. He's striving towards this goal, even for the men and women in Colossae that he's never even met. Why? Because he knows what's at stake, and he's striving for kingdom advancement. My question for us, students, and I'm including myself in this, all right, I'm not pointing fingers at you. My question for us is, can we say the same? Can we say the same? Do we care enough about the souls of the people in our lives, those who are in our classrooms, those who are in our friend groups, those who are in our families? Do we care enough about them to move towards them in Jesus' name? Have we let the reality sink into our lives that there are thousands of people in our city alone, who right now are walking far from God, who have no relationship with him, and if they were to die tonight, would go to a very real place called hell for all eternity. Has that reality landed in your heart? Not to mention the billions of people across the world 
who have never even heard the name of Jesus, never heard the message of the gospel, my question is, when will that be enough for us to get off our seats and get into the game, to move into this world differently? Paul is literally writing these words from jail. He's been put in prison for this cause. He is, so, he is that captivated by this mission. Meanwhile, you and I, again, I'm including myself, meanwhile, many of us won't share the gospel with our classmate or that friend because we're worried about what they think. We're worried they might make fun of us. We're worried they might talk about us behind our back. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I know that rejection is a real thing. I'm a, like, A1 people pleaser, okay? Like, I want everyone in the world to like me, all right? People pleaser 101, like, I'm taking that class. Like, that's, that's me, okay? But what I'm saying is that whenever you compare it, whenever you put it in perspective, what Paul is suffering is nothing compared to what we suffer. But we chicken out all the time. What I'm saying is that the stakes far outweigh the consequences. Life is short. Let us not waste our time here living in fear of the opinion of people. Let us move forward on mission for the kingdom of God. That looks like pursuing our lost friends together in the context of community. That looks like praying for our city together, getting on our knees together and praying for the lost people in Athens. That means praying for the nations together, praying for the unreached people groups who have never even heard the name of Jesus, rallying and praying for those peoples. It means like getting our heads together and figuring out how in the world do we live our lives on mission in the midst of a global pandemic. It means not letting things get in our way, that we're committed to striving together for the advancement of the gospel. But you must understand that as we strive together, that we're meant to strive in God's power and not our own. Paul says that he's striving in the very energy that the Lord gives him, right? This is an important clarifier. What I don't want you to hear me say tonight is that you need to just do more, do more, do more, do more. Because that just, you fall into this trap of like relying on your own power, relying on your own abilities. And I'm not trying to burden you with some mission that you can never accomplish. But what I'm trying to show you is that the God of the universe has invited you into his work and he has offered to give you the power to accomplish his purposes. He's invited you into his work and he's offered you the power to accomplish his purposes. You're not meant to do this alone. You're meant to do it in his power. So striving together means being there for one another and pointing one another to Jesus all the way. Whenever I think about this, I think about a very familiar passage of scripture, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's what it looks like to strive together. It means running alongside each other, encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good works, and all the while reminding each other, like, hey, 
This isn't on us. This isn't in our power. Hey, you need to look to Jesus. Hey, find your strength in Jesus. Hey, we're resting in the finished work of Jesus. This isn't on us. This is on him. We're accomplishing his purposes. Keep your eyes, keep your heart focused on him. This is what it looks like to strive together. We need to understand that life is not about building our own little kingdoms. Life is about advancing God's kingdom. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to strive together. So we suffer together. We strive together. And lastly, we stand together. Paul calls the believers in Colossae, he says, to be united in love. And guys, this, is, this has just been one of those things that's just been coming up a lot in my life here recently. I've never before understood the need for unity in our world. I believe that unity is more important now than we could possibly imagine. We just look out on our world and see all the division, all the hatred, and all I can think of is we need to be unified. And Paul feels the same way. If you read other letters of Paul in the New Testament, he talks about this theme of unity a lot. He specifically talks about it a lot in the book of Ephesians. Unity just seems to be on Paul's mind a lot. And I believe that he knows that a divided world really needs a unified church. And that's not a quote that's from me. That's from somebody else. I don't know who said it, but someone attributed it to me. But a divided world really needs a unified church. We need to be people who rally together for the kingdom's cause. If we're going to move into the world together, we must be unified. We must stand together. If we do not stand together, we will not be as effective for kingdom advancement. So what does that mean for us in this room? That means that we need to invest in these relationships. We need to rally together. We need to love one another with a genuine love and have a genuine care for one another. It means standing together in all times, in times of suffering, in times of striving, whenever things are good, whenever things are bad. It means seeking unity in all things. And to do that, that means we can't let little petty disagreements get between us, right? Jesus himself talks about this. He says, if you're coming to offer your gift at the altar, if you're coming to worship me and offer your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift and you run and you go be reconciled to your brother and then you come back and then you worship me. AKA, if you remember that someone has something against you, you run and you be reconciled to them before you ever come to God and worship You cannot harbor bitterness in your heart towards another believer and still worship God at the same time. That does not make sense. We need to be people who are striving for unity together. That means if you know that you've hurt someone, that means you go to that person and you say, hey, I know I did wrong. I know I messed up. I know whenever I said that, it really hurt you, and I'm sorry. I'm going to own that. I apologize. Will you please forgive me? That means if you're the one that's been hurt, you go to that person, you say, hey, you said this, and I'm not really sure what you meant, but whatever you said it, it really hurt me. Can we just at least have a conversation about that? Can we get a room and dialogue about that? It means being willing to have the hard conversation because you value unity more than you value your own comfort. It's easy to run away. It's easy to ignore those things. But whenever we ignore those things, the division deepens. And that's not what we need to be about. 
We don't need to be a part of the problem. We need to be a part of the solution. Be willing to have the hard conversation. Be willing to talk to one another. Be willing to be united. This is who we're meant to be. We're meant to stand together. Let us seek unity together. Last night, I was hanging with uh, some college students in my family group. Shameless plug for family groups. If you're not in one, you should definitely be in one. Uh, I was hanging out with my family group, and we were, we were talking about this. We were studying one of these passages in Ephesians that's all about unity. Um, and one of our family group leaders, Mr. Joshua Mira, sitting in the back, I love you, uh, he asked this question. He said, why do you think unity is so important in the life of the church? And we as a group, just we started talking about that. And a lot of answers were, were thrown out. Um, we kind of settled on a couple of ideas. One, we settled on this mission that we've been given is far too important to let division exist in the church, in the body of believers. We must be unified or we're not going to accomplish this mission in the way that we were meant to. So it's far too important. There's far too much at stake. The other thing that we talked about was that a unified church is a beautiful and godly example to a very divided world because it shows people that unity is possible, but it's only possible in one place, and that is in Jesus. It's in the power of the gospel. It is only in the power of the gospel that people who come from different backgrounds, different social statuses, different political ideologies can come together and find common ground and love one another as brothers and sisters. That's the only place that that exists in Jesus Christ. And the world desperately needs examples like that. And students, that's my hope for us. I want every one of us in this room to be so captivated by the heart of Jesus that we desire to join in the work of Jesus. I want us to be used to shine brightly for the kingdom of God. I want people in this city to come to know Jesus because of God working through us. I want God to use us to play a role in the nations coming to know Jesus. I want to see missionaries sent out. I want to see churches planted. I want to see the kingdom advance through us as we suffer together, as we strive together, and as we stand together. But if we're going to do this, if we're going to live this way, we must remember all closer to Jesus. We allow him to shape our heart, to shape our minds, to shape our desires, and to change us from the inside out. And we move into the world differently. And the natural result is that we will be people who are willing to suffer together, strive together, and stand together. That is my hope for you. Would you pray with me? The band's going to go ahead and come on back up. And if you would, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask you some questions. And I want you to really think about these questions. I want you to pray about these questions. Really reflect on them during this time. I want to ask you, which of these areas that I just talked about tonight are you struggling in? Are you suffering right now, but you're unwilling to let people in because you're afraid of what they might think? Do you know someone who's suffering, but you're avoiding them because the situation's really messy and honestly, you just don't want to be a part of it? Are you struggling to live a life of integrity right now? Is there something you need to repent of and submit to God? Are you actively striving for the advancement of God's kingdom or of your own kingdom? Is there some disunity in your life? 
some harmed relationship that you need to fix, that you need to be proactive about. And lastly, can you honestly tell me tonight that you're in a relationship with Jesus? Because if that's not true, nothing else of what I said matters. You need to fix that first. I want you to think about these things. I want you to ponder these things. The band's about to sing a couple more songs, and and just as they do, I just want to encourage you to respond in whatever way you see fit. Maybe there are some things that God is stirring in your heart, and you just need to spend some time praying. You can kneel at your seat if you want. You know what? The altar's open. If you want to come up here and kneel at the altar, you can do that. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. I'm going to be standing in the back near the sound booth. If you'd like to talk to me about something, if you'd like to pray with me about something, I'd be honored to talk to you. But whatever God is stirring in your heart, I encourage you, respond. Don't walk away from this moment if he's doing something in you. Father, we give you these moments. I'm so thankful for everyone in this room. I'm so thankful that you're a God that cares enough about us to invite us to join in your work. Would you create us to be a family of you who move into the world for your glory? I really want us to be people who are willing to suffer together, who are willing to strive together, and who are willing to stand together. But we love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Prince College Podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, you can check us out online at www.pabc.org backslash college, or you can follow us on social media at at prince.college. We'll see you next time.